Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to the most linked podcast in the world, Household Games. Today, I'm joined by my host, Hello! And for the first time in a long time, we have a very special guest, Miss Anna Heiberg. But before we start networking today's episode, let us hit that play button and enter this week's episode of Household Games. <laughs> Welcome everyone to this week's episode of House of Games and as my co-host mentioned finally we have a guest on the show so I'm very pleased to to introduce Anna to my audience so please uh, Anna if you want to uh, tell us who you are and what you do. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Uh, so my name is Anna Hagberg Janelius, if you want to take it in Swedish. I'm an independent game developer. Uh, you might say a veteran of the games industry if you want to. Uh, and I'm also one of the hosts of Linkin Bar, which is uh, an event for game developers uh, in Sweden. Uh, I do a lot of consulting work for other studios. Um, I've done basically everything that you can do within games, uh, everything from QA to through um, programming to game designer to design and so on uh, so I've, I've seen a lot of shit through the years if i'm allowed <laughs> to curse on this podcast absolutely i i've got to ask straight away like it sounds like you do a lot of things how like did the game developer part of your life is that a full-time job like eight hours a day or how, how do you split these as far as i can tell it's three things you do games you consult and you host this uh, link thing in Stockholm. So how do you... Yeah. Yeah. How do I is do it that? Elon uh, Musk we're talking to here? Or is it... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. It's not a, one of my, my idols. Um, <laughs> I, you could even go as far as say yes, that I'm more projects as well, but I, I try to keep it a little bit more uh, structured for so people can understand what I'm spending my time on. But basically, usually what my time looks like is I consult on you know, 50% or something. So like half time. Uh, actually, my, my latest consulting gig was uh, four days a week. So I only had one day a week that was quote unquote mine. Uh, but that's not my preferred setup. So usually I do it at about 50%. Uh, and then the rest of that time is spent on my own projects. Uh, currently at Valiant, we basically have two projects. One that is one that I've been working on for many years. That's called Creature Kind, which I hope to be able to release uh, quite soon. And then I have joined up with another team uh, that's going to develop another game within Valiant. So I'm mm. going to be part of that team, but I'm also going to keep working on my own stuff. This is when it gets complicated. Uh, and then Linkin Bar is sort of a part-time thing or like a um, more spare time thing since it's it's more a thing where we have events every now and then. And it's a little bit of uh, organizing. And especially if you have a, a sponsor, for example, uh, it might be a little bit of extra work for a specific event. But that doesn't actually take up that much work time, so to speak. Hmm. I, I've got to ask, um, since I don't think we've talked to many game developers per se on this podcast. Uh, yeah, we do, but I, I never asked this question. So I want to know, like, when you, you work on your own game as well, and I do as well, but when I have to do my other job, I feel like I'm missing out on hours I could spend on my own game. Do you ever feel like that? Like, when you work on all these other things, doesn't that feel like a distraction from your your baby like your game and how how do you deal with that if, if you have any feelings regarding that i think that's a very good question uh, and i think i've been fortunate enough to work on projects that i've really enjoyed working on and it's been i've been fortunate enough to to be able to sort of choose projects that i've learned something from as well so like hmm. either i got better at programming or last time i was a producer which was the first time so i learned a lot of like oh how do we work with xbox which i now very quickly need to use for another project so it was very hands-on knowledge that i can use right away in my own development so i just i have become a better developer um I wouldn't have developed as quickly if I only worked on my own things. So mm. there is always a silver lining. And of course, it's nice to work on my own games, but these other games are also cool. So mm. I, I don't know. As long as I can work with games in some way, I'm, I'm honestly quite happy. Cool. 
Cool. And, uh, you know, as Rune said, that's a lot of hats to have for a single person. So it's uh, quite impressive. So what started first? Was it like the game development or Lincoln Bar? And could you give us like a a brief, like, uh, how did you get into games in the first place? Sure. So I have a bachelor's degree in game development. It's actually computer and systems design whatever it's called, from uh, the SVA Stockholm University. Um, I've been playing games basically all my life. And then at one point, it was actually my mom who recommended like, oh, don't you want to work with games? You like games so much. Why don't you work with them? Uh, so uh, so I started studying that. And um, actually, while I was still studying, I got my first internship and I started sort of doing some freelance stuff um, to just get ahead a little bit and make sure that I had a leg up when, I, when it was time to actually apply for a full-time job. Uh, so my first full-time job was at Paradox, and this is actually relevant for Lincoln Bar as well, um, because I worked as a QA first tester and then manager at Paradox, both for the internal development team and for the sort of production team. Uh, and one of the games or one of the studios that we worked with was Fat Shark. And at that point, Liam O'Neill uh, was a QA manager for the QA team at Fat Shark. And he is now my co-host for Lincoln Bar. So what happened was we had worked with each other for a couple of years, but our studios were going to go our separate ways. So we decided to just go to a bar uh, or actually go to a park uh, because this was summertime, just hang out with our teams, maybe bring some other people in from the industry uh, and just, you know, have a good time. And we expected like maybe 30 people to show up or something like that. Uh, More than 100 people showed up. So we were like... Apparently, there's something here. Cool. People actually want to hang out. Uh, so mm. we did it a couple more times that summer. This was 2014. Uh, and then we just kept doing it. So winter arrived. We went inside. Uh, so it, when we were out in a park, we call it Lincoln Park. There's a long story there as well that I can get back to. <laughs> uh, and then we went indoors, and then we called it Lincoln Bar. And then we just kept hosting it because people kept showing up and people kept giving us good feedback. So... Um, yeah, the rest is history. Cool. And uh, I think uh, then I guess uh, it's uh, in order to congratulate you on uh, 10 years then, I suppose, if it's 2014. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank very you. Well done. Yeah, yeah it's, it's coming up in 10 years. So we hope to maybe be able to do something extra this year. We'll see what plans actually pan out. But we want to do something at least. Really cool. And uh, I would say that actually Linkin, Linkin Bar, I guess, is how I found you. Uh, in the first place, I've been to a couple of events, but never met you in person. So I just got to give kudos. It's a great event where it's just uh, really easy to network with a lot of people with similar interests and uh, experiences and stuff. So uh, uh, really interesting. Thank you. I appreciate so, that. So, uh, yeah. Could you give, like, what is the, the mission of uh, the the link, link in X? Uh, and uh, also, I'm curious, what is like the the story with the link from Legend of Zelda? What's the <laughs> connection there? Uh, I, I can start for the second question first. So uh, it started out as so the first link in which was to become a Linkin Park Park event that I mentioned when we just me, Liam, and our coworkers and some others sat down in a park. I think we called it link, a game dance in the park or something like that uh, for like the Facebook event. Uh, but the banner uh, that I chose had Link in a park uh, because I had a T-shirt as well at that time, which was Link in a park. And Link in Park is a, you know, uh, right, a, yeah. a band. So I thought that was funny. So that was the banner of the event, not the actual name. But everyone called it Link in Park uh, anyway. Oh, okay. uh, so it sort of became the name of the event. Everyone was like, oh, you're going to Link in Park. Uh, so we're like, okay, I, ca- I guess it's called Linkin Park now. <laughs> mm. uh, so we didn't actually actively choose it ourselves to begin with, uh, but it's sort of stuck. And now Linkin Bar doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> right. everyone calls it that now. So we're just rolling with it. <laughs> cool. But those are the best names, I guess, that the ones you don't choose, but sort of evolve from mm. circumstances. Yeah, yeah, sure. I thought you said uh, Linkin in Bar. <laughs> Sorry? I thought you said think think, think in, in bar. bar. No. And I thought Link it had something to do with you get drunk and that's when you get creative and start talking or uh, <laughs> talking thinking out loud. Like the Baldmer curve, I suppose. Yeah. Ah. So, okay. Link in bar. That is true. Link in bar. As in link in 
the Legend of Zelda. Hmm. Um, and cool. and to to your other question, uh, the goal is basically just to network. Uh, so when me and Liam started uh, working industry, uh, other like game companies had meetups quite often, um, but then they sort of started petering out, and we saw that there was sort of a need to just network and uh, meet each other and hang out, have a good time. Like we didn't want it to be like there to be a specific mission. Like we didn't want really like uh, any talks or no like enforced activities because like there are conferences, there are spaces for that, and it's great. And I really enjoy like the. Uh, sort of the the climate that we have in Sweden in that sense, but we just saw a need for just a chilled place to hang out, and you don't have to be in the industry. You might be on your way in. You might be a student. You might just be interested in the industry, and that's fine. You can just come and ask people your questions and and so on. So we want the bar to be very low for entry. Very nice. And um, then later, you I guess uh, moved on to. Uh, as you said, now consultant and uh, running your own studio. So could you tell us about like the transition from doing a day job at, I guess, a game development studio to to doing it yourself? Sure, yeah. So it was 2015, and that was sort of the boom of, you know, indie darlings. Uh, I think like games like Fez and whatever it was back then had just released, like the indie game movie had just released. Uh, and I went to some talks at like Nordic Game Conference uh, by indies. And I don't know, I, I'd come to a point in my career where like, sure, it's just been three years, but still I was like, there's got to be something else. Like I do, I want to explore a little bit more. What can I do? What stories can I tell through games and so on? And I went to work at a smaller company. I, I knew that much. Um, so, so I just decided to try, so I quit my job, which is uh, not for everyone, and it's, mm. uh, yeah, could be considered a, a stupid move, but I decided to do it. Um, and obviously it's, um, it's challenging, and especially as a small indie, making ends meet can be challenging, so that's why I work as a consultant. Once again, I really enjoy it, but it's also a necessity to, uh, to stay afloat financially. Um, but like I said, like it's not for everyone, but it does give you a lot of freedom. It does give you sort of, you are the master of your own destiny in a, in a way. Like you, you can decide which games you want to work on. Um, I don't know. And, and I think also for me, especially, I enjoy working on so many things, like a little bit of game design, a little bit of programming, a little bit of audio design or whatever. Uh, you have to do everything as a small indie. So uh, I think that's that's really one of the driving sort of driving things um, that, that keeps me wanting to be in the, and you, you get to work with so many amazing people as well when you mm -hmm. consult and so on, like coming into team, getting to know how they work, um, just to, the way that people work together in, in a small company and like everything has, has to click. Everyone needs to see the same vision. I think there's, there's something really cool about that. And when mm. it works, it works. It's, it's so amazing. Like just seeing that machinery work. I, I got like a million questions now. Uh, I wonder if I'm going to ask... I, I start with three. Uh, what programming language do you do? And what music software? And what game develop engine software? Also, how did you learn those things? Did you learn them while when you started this adventure? Or did you learn that in school? Because you mentioned you went to game school, right? Yeah, So well, it's a... Uh... It's a bachelor's degree in computer science, uh, computer system science. Um, but yeah, so I did already uh, study a little bit of programming back then, but it was mostly Java. Uh, we did use Unity a little bit, um, but I didn't really get into it that much at that point. Uh, but I am a Unity developer, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you have to say these days. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it's C Sharp and Unity. That's that's my en engine of choice. Cool. Um, as for audio design, like I don't compose at this time. Well, I, have, I do have some background in music, but I don't really make music for games. Uh, however, I've been doing basically the more simple stuff, implementation and so on, and using like basically Audacity and so on, working with um, uh, working with sound effects from from libraries and so on in that way. Cool. Um, I can't remember what more questions you had. Ah, oh, that was it. What what language? Like, what yeah. engine and what engine? It's exactly like me. Mm -hmm. U Unity, C sharp, and all that. Uh, well, sound libraries, and I'm not composing my music either, uh, in mm. my newest game at least. 
Uh, I had but way more questions. I can mention as well. I can I can mention it as well. I think you you asked like how I learned it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And 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 speaking to that, um, I think especially Unity, it's quite easy to learn by doing. And I'm a very hands-on person in that sense. So since Unity has such great documentation, uh, I could basically just type in my question like and add Unity C sharp uh, and and find the answers to to basically anything I wanted to to know. Hmm. Uh, so I'm basically you could say self-taught. Of course, I have a background in programming, but mm. actually making games, mm. uh, I've sort of figured out along the way, which does mean my code isn't always the most optimal, but I'm also gradually learning more and more how to make actually optimized and clean wow. code and so on. Man, it sounds <laughs> like I'm talking to myself. It's insane. I also got to ask <laughs> how, uh, when you, have you published a game before or worked on a game that was published? And also... Uh, you nodding, so I guess yes. But now that you make your own game, do you feel like you can? Uh, uh, what's that thing you always say, Odo? When we we put too much stuff in our game, so it never gets done. So oh, feature, yeah, yeah. feature creep, do, exactly. Can you keep that feature creep. creep in a uh, in a leash or whatever? Like, do you feel like you're getting somewhere, or do you feel like you're just constantly adding stuff and it's not you don't get anywhere? And on top of that, if you do feel like you get somewhere in your project. Uh, do you, how do you do that? Do you have like a, a tick box list or set goals for yourself, or can you describe a little bit your workflow in in that sense? Sure. Uh, this is a very large question. I think uh, yes, I've worked on on many games uh, that have been released. Some have been my own sort of projects, and some I've worked on um, in in different capacities, mm. both at Paradox and as consultant. Uh, but speaking to my own uh, projects. I mean, I think it's very important to very uh, be very focused on your vision. Like, why are you making this project? And I think this might be a little bit easier for me because I'm making narrative-focused games primarily, not mm. uh, exclusively, but primarily. So it's quite clear what I want to achieve with it. I might want to tell a specific story. Like, it's, in some cases at least, a little bit less focused on perhaps the mechanics. That is not true for my current project, but we can get to that later. Um, but like, then, you know, if you've told the story, if you have all of the elements of the story, you can't really, like, you can always add more, you can add more details and so on. But I don't know, if you do enough work beforehand, you kind of know what it is you want to achieve. I think it's easier to also cut off everything that doesn't actually speak to your sort of primary idea that you have from the beginning or your guiding idea that I, I like to call it. So I try to just always ask myself, no matter if it's a new feature or new content, whatever it might be, like, does this actually help what I'm trying to make here? Is it going to make it better? Uh, or am I just, I don't know, adding things to procrastinate or whatever it might be? Hmm. So I can't say that there's a way, like a one size fits all, um, but really, you know, planning beforehand, knowing how, what's, your, what's your budget, what's your timeline um, and everything like that. and really trying to stick to that and keep, but your eyes on that target mm. it's at least what worked for me so far mm. but when it comes to budget uh, like you do other jobs to keep your sort of indie baby alive doesn't that mean like they're the budget will never technically never run out because as long as you do all these other things the baby like baby indie can stay alive so sort of sure i think you're touching really on what's going on right now with my game Creature Kind, um, because I started working on it 2020 and it's still not out, mm. and it's going to be four years this year. It it should re it shouldn't have taken this long, I suppose, but that's also a whole beast in itself because I wanted more funding uh, and that wasn't possible, and yeah, it, mm. it's a whole beast. Um, but but yeah, for sure. But I think in that case, you, you either if you you can impose on deadlines on yourself because maybe in this case I want to start working on the next game I can't work on this game forever uh, but also you might have other deadlines that sort of appear along the way which I'm now working towards which is for example working with uh, a partner so like they might have okay so you're going to release on a platform right and you're probably going to do that within a reasonable amount of time hmm. uh, so like the closer you get to actually release the more you actually have to release it sort of because you get more and more dependencies, basically. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, mm. but 
partly I think it's good to impose deadlines on yourself and at some point you're just going to get them whether you like it or not hope sort of quote unquote hopefully mm. interesting cool yeah and uh, as a as an indie uh, I'm curious about that so for setting deadlines and so on um, do you work anything like like evenings and weekends on your own projects or do you can you keep like strictly to eight to five for example or uh, how do you sort of time box that? Uh, because I guess it's uh, harder with something that's not as defined as a requirement for a client, for mm. example. Yeah, that's definitely been something that has changed over the course of my career. Um, early on, when I was an indie, I just always worked. Like if I wasn't doing anything else, I was working. Uh, and it can work for a while, but I do not recommend that to anyone. Like if it's on your own terms and it's a limited time box, sure maybe if you're taking care of yourself in other ways but you're just gonna burn out and as you know the saying goes this is a marathon it's not a sprint so you need to really make sure that you also do other things if nothing else to just you know gain inspiration and you know get that dopamine kick from being out in nature or talking to people or whatever it might be um so uh i used to work away too much now i try to be very strict and like actually keeping it to working hours like office hours um actually took some time off during the the holidays uh, this season which basically was the first time in a very long time Ooh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh and i think it's it's very important to take care of yourself so i don't know maybe it comes with age i just value my time much more now than i used to um because I want to do this for, for the rest of my career or like the rest of my, my working days. So you just kind yeah. of have to after a while. It's like that uh, thing I read somewhere that YOLO means something else when you're young compared to when you're old, I suppose. For sure. Like, I, I this is going to get a little bit existential, but I think sometimes like when you're on your deathbed, are you going to be, are you going to think that you didn't work enough? No, you're probably going to think I didn't spend enough time with my family. Mm. So like, yeah sure uh, if you enjoy what you're doing absolutely knock yourself out like mm. if you want to spend a few more hours today do it if you really th- want to do this and you're having a good time but also uh, like it's good to take I think a step back and really look at what you value in life uh, as well so so having a good work-life balance uh, is, is key here I think mm. yeah absolutely so uh, could you tell us a little bit about the game you're working on now like uh, if you want to go from like chronological chronologically like from the idea stage to like breaking it down to the concrete sort of product that you have now and where you're at and where it's going and so on sure uh, and this is the point where i have to sort of choose which ones to talk about but i'm going to talk about creature kind which is the main project internally at valiant right now um so the idea started back when we were still working on our previous game, Pendula Swing, within Valiant. At that point, we were three people uh, within Valiant working full time. Um, but after Pendula Swing, we sort of went our separate ways, uh, and it was only me. Um, and I don't know. It it was something about the idea. It actually started with us just talking over lunch uh, about a couple of articles that we've seen about young girls who had found swords in lakes for some reason. Uh, or like we saw one of them and I recalled another store like that. So we're like, what's up with all these girls finding swords in lakes? Like that's <laughs> quite kind of ram- random. Uh, so then we just started like spitballing about like, okay, what, what would the story be? Um, and it was just something there, I think like, oh, if this were magic and what would that mean? And maybe they, they're going to save the world, but they're not going to fight the monsters. They're going to be kind to them. It just started spinning. Um, and I, it just sort of stuck with me, that idea, that maybe there's something there, like these teens have been chosen to save the world, something. Now, the story has changed a lot over the, the course of this game. They don't have swords anymore, because this is a non-violent game. You, you still treat the, the monsters with kindness. You actually try to recruit them to your cause instead of fighting them. Uh, and I realized the swords gave sort of the wrong idea. People didn't really understand what this game was when it saw it but you could um, do that what the queen does when you put the sword on the shoulders and sort of i hereby oh, turn you're like you. dubbing yeah. them yeah yeah <laughs> but now there yeah, is no sword it, sorry continue <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but just like strictly for marketing um, purposes it just didn't work out with the swords uh, so i just removed them 
Um, but but it's it's a car butler uh, deck builder uh, where you like I said like you recruit monsters to your cause. Uh, so it's very much about like building um, a movement basically. So uh, in this world, uh, magic is fading, um, which is sort of a um, a way to talk about sustainability and like how do we actually take care of the world around us. So you try to convince people through uh, card encounters, card battles, uh, that they actually need to listen to you and you're making good points and maybe we should stop using so much mana because otherwise mana is going to run out and no one is will be able to use magic anymore. So that's sort of the short uh, version. Um, and it's, it's been going Ooh. through several iterations through through the years, um, which is actually, I'd say, the 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 good part of it taking a little bit longer than I had planned for, um, because it's given me time to to just try new things. Uh, I had an intern for for six months who helped me sort of rethink the how the encounters were going to work, uh, and so on. So uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with how the game works right now. Uh, we'll see if it's what's what I'm going to release in the end, but. Uh, but yeah, it's it's basically a very straightforward card battler, but it's very wholesome. It's very colorful. So it, the bar of entry again is a little bit lower than than some other games. Uh, so it's very just approachable and cozy. Nice. I want to ask. Uh, I was going to ask about the story, but you you touched on that uh, about the environment, uh, and now I got to ask something I've asked a lot of people before. And since you have developed and released games before, I'm I'm extra curious, like. Uh, you mentioned, for example, you got rid of the sword for marketing purposes. So it's almost like um, the marketing was influencing a choice of your game and changed the direction of the game. So I'm curious how much you feel like, um, how much do you let, let's say, the, the overall political and not not political landscape the social landscape outside like how people are going to perceive your game how much do you let that influence your choices when you develop the game or does it at all and also i'm curious like i brought this up before when i wrote my third game red colony 3 it's called i i cut out a lot of stories because uh, my publisher wanted to have it voice acted like the second game so I felt like, and I, but I knew how much it cost to have voice actors. So I I knew that I couldn't, uh, like I wouldn't be able to, in, in order for the budget to cover the voice casts, I would have to cut out a lot of the story, which I did, and I really regret it now because it ended up didn't, it wasn't voice acted in the end. But the point is that I let that sort of influence the story of the game. So I, I was not quite pleased with how the story turned out because I missed this big part of the story. But I had to cut that out because it was too expensive. And since you have worked on games and pro like released proper games and so on, you have way more knowledge about these things. Do you feel like that influences you and the, the choices you make when you make the game? Absolutely, really. It does influence uh, like the development of games, I think especially the the more I've worked with games and the more uh, I'm sort of planning what to do next and so on, the more I've the, the longer I've run this company, the more I've had to sort of realize the fact that someone also needs to buy this game in the end. Like, sure, I love working on games, but in the end, it needs to be released because the point of this is to be able to make another game, hopefully. Uh, so I always keep saying, living to make another game. That That's the point. Like, I don't need to be rich. I need to, you know, uh, I don't have to become the next well-known, you know, well famous uh, game developer. That's not the point. The point is just, I like making games. I want to make another one. Uh, but in order to do that, because it's even for a small indie company, it's quite expensive. Like, salaries are a thing. And, you know, especially as a Swede, uh, we, we are quite expensive per month. Uh, so you have to face the rea realities of, okay, uh, how do you make something that people actually will pick out on, you know, in Steam? Because I, I don't know what the stats are right now, but there are hundreds of games released every day. You have to just face that fact. It's the harsh reality. Uh, it is is a hard landscape to, to launch into. And if you don't consider that at an early stage, it's just not going to work out and you're not going to be able to keep being an indie. And it's it's just a rough reality. And I've been through all of the phases. Like my first solo indie title, Midwinter. Midwinter. Uh, it, it was just a game that I basically made because I needed to learn how to make a game. And 
I did not consider what the audience would be at all. It's just a simple little point and click game and I made the art myself. Like it's if there's an audience, I um you know, I would be happy, but I didn't really make it with anyone else in mind. Pendulum Swing we took maybe one step further, but it was still more a game that I wanted to make. Like it was a story I wanted to tell in in this certain way. Uh did not really like we, we thought about, for example, marketing assets very late. Like we couldn't really talk about it until right before release when we had some more assets that we could use. So we did everything like a little bit backwards there as well. But Creature Can, I'm trying to take one step further and think about the, the audience and the, the target market um, one step earlier as well, like thinking about that from the very beginning, who's going to want to play this and why, um, how can we make um, marketing assets to, so we can actually show this uh, and, and make people excited uh, as soon as possible. So like you have to at least sort of go through the motions a little bit, like think about that sort of process all the way, because once again, if you don't, it's going to be a really tough time. And I know what it feels like to make a game and no one cares. And I don't want to do that again <laughs> because it's heartbreaking, especially when you worked so much on it and you really enjoy this project. You you hoped you created, like you told a good story and then it's just crickets. It's no one enjoys that. So even if you maybe change your vision a little bit based on what you think the audience is going to like, if that means that they're actually going to enjoy it instead of, you know, instead of there only being crickets, I think everyone wins, hopefully, in the end. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it's a sober view to have to look at it. Like, you want to make a game just so you can make your next game. I think I mentioned many times on this podcast, like here in, in Tokyo, you can go to this into this alley, and there's another alley, and then behind some weird thing, there's a door, and you walk inside there, and you're in a bar that fits four people, and it's like how is this bar surviving? But then you learn that this is Tokyo, there's a 38 million people so they always have four regular customers there at any hour through the day because you know that's what happens when you live in a big city and i sort of think about that when i think about making games like your audience is everyone who is online basically who can buy your game steam switch or whatever uh but one problem with this i think is for example, with my Red Colony games, they're very hentai, anime, big booby girls types of games. And that sort of attracted a certain audience. Um, I think, though, that most of the fans I have from that really enjoyed the stories. Uh, I, I like to believe that's what was the main draw when people finished all the games, at least. Uh, but when I then released Knife Boy Rebooted, for example, on the Switch, a lot of those people tried out tried it out but it was obviously a completely different game it has nothing in common so it's sort of like uh, uh, if, if I wanted to play it safe I would just keep on making these red colony games but as a developer I first of all I don't want to be known to be the guy who just make these hentai anime games and also I like to make new things like I'm a creative creative person i want to try new things so knife boy is completely different from red colony and now my next game is totally different from all of that so it's hard to bring over your audience from game to game if you change direction in what you're doing so i guess my whole argument falls apart a little bit that uh, you know as long as you have your your audience because they want to tag along all the time i reckon some people will, will tag along and see what you're up to but uh but still it's the in on internet world you will always find like a, a corner of the internet that is into your stuff and as long as that that's enough to keep you making the next game that's a nice spot to be in but even to get to that spot yeah. is quite hard but 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 i think you're speaking to something very important here because you also i think you need to research beforehand if there is an audience so like uh, probably there there is but in that case how do you find them mm. like if you you're gonna make this game for like there are probably like 2,000 people in the world who is going to enjoy this game. Okay, how do you find those 2,000 people? Mm. Like, maybe you already know them. Maybe you're on, already in the community. Then you already have a leg up leg up in that case. Uh, but if you're, you're like, oh, I really want to make this, I don't know, very specific train game or something where that like 50 Germans is going to love. But like, okay, <laughs> how, how do you market your game mm. in that case? Uh, so like, maybe you can, like, you can definitely make niche games and you can make billions of, of dollars on that it absolutely works but you need to then understand how how are you going to keep people engaged for for decades mm. um 
so so it's it's a balance obviously mm. yeah it's just uh, every bone in my body hurts when i when i think about the harsh reality because you would want to just make games because you love making games and just hope that it finds its way to the people are into it like uh but huh, yeah yeah like sometimes i think like oh this this job would be great if we didn't have to sell the games. And like yeah. it's like a long time ago, I worked at IKEA. Like this, this job would be great if it didn't have any common customers mm. that like messed everything <laughs> up and ask questions all the time. Mm. Um, but in the end, like that's not where we live. So we just have to face the reality that we are making games. We have to make money, unfortunately. Or I mean, there are studios that basically just take in grants and then they make what they want to make. But there are very few companies that can do that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think Valve is uh, one of those exceptions there where they can like make whatever in for fifteen years and then just scrap it and then whatever because <laughs> they have a printing machine. They have Steam, so yeah, yeah. They, they don't have to care. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, something else that I thought about. Uh, so you touched a little bit about like going into making your own games and uh, being unaware of a lot of like marketing things and things around game development that you have to think about so if you are for example like me not having released a, a game of my own uh, yet so if you want to to get to that point where you are now more aware of like marketing and finding your audience and stuff and how should you think about it or is there something where like where you can learn about it or what would be like the, the path to to getting there Oh, it's a very good question. Uh, I think this is one of the things where almost like when you give advice, that advice is already old. Um, but I think knowing your genre, like see what's already out there, like what do people enjoy about it? Or if there isn't a genre, uh, then try to figure out like why are people not making this type of game? Uh, is it because no one thought about it before or is it because it's not a good idea? Uh, so like knowing sort of development side maybe first so like knowing what um, games came before you and how people reacted to it and why like maybe find a genre where like this is so underserved people want games in this genre like I can see it like everyone buys this but no one likes the games like they always have this kind of feedback maybe then you can find like okay I'm gonna make this kind of uh, type of game but I'm gonna listen to the feedback and make it a little bit different in this way that the players want so I mean it's it's hard one hard once again to say a one size fits fits all, but it's it's doing the research and like really understanding your audience, what are their needs, how do they communicate with each other, how do other developers communicate with the community. Like for for a lot of games, for example, you can build a community on Discord. That's very usual these days. But if you make a mobile game, for example, mobile game players might not be on Discord. Uh, so how else can communicate with them? Are they on Instagram? Do they use TikTok? So like just how do you get that message out and like what makes them want to click on that ad to go to your game mm. uh, for example because at the end of the day once again you need to market your game are you going to do it the sort of conventional old time like old timey way of like actually making ads or are you gonna once again build a community it's just gonna rely on word of mouth it's a social game where people can invite each other in or so so there are so many factors to to sort of take into account so I mean, I think when you're starting out, um, that's the only way you can really do it because otherwise you sort of accrue it over experience. You talk to people, you, you make your games, you learn from your own mistakes um, and others. But when you're just starting out, I really only the only thing you do is spend serious time into this <laughs> and try to understand. Like, And also don't try to make games for everyone. It's, it's okay to make niche games. Mm. Like this is a game for this this audience and make it a really good game for that audience and really see to their needs. Uh, that that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your, your answers the question. Yeah, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a it's a really great uh, way to think about it. And uh, something else that you both touch on is uh, this thing about like surviving to make another game. Uh, I just want to name drop it for our listeners. There is a really great talk on GDC called. How to survive in game dev for 11 years without a hit. So uh, I'll make sure to link that in the description. But uh, I think I've seen that one really, as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a really, really good like presentation where the guy goes through 
like how he made a living and supporting his family uh, by developing games without having like this one smash hit, but rather having, as you say, Rune, recurring customers and uh, having this sort of like little bar with, you know, you have your, your regulars, mm. for example. I'm going to keep developing my games for five more years and then I'm going to break his record. How to survive 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm seven years in yeah. now. <laughs> but we got food on the table. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. very yeah. good. And, and at the end of the day, that's the important stuff. Or, and also something that I talk a lot to other indie developers about now is what matters to you? Like, is it food on the table for your family? That's perfectly mm. fine. Like for me, you know, I have specific goals. They're not lofty or anything, but like these are things that would be nice mm. to you know, making a decent game that will, you know, maybe pay off my loans or whatever. But for, for other people, you might have more lofty goals, like you want to be the author or you want to, you know, sure, go for it. You just have to realize that you might have to sacrifice things for it. And then you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice to reach this goal? Mm. And whatever your answer is, that's fine. It's up to you. Um, but you do have to realize that becoming a billionaire from games is not going to be easy. <laughs> For most people, some people strike gold, mm. but for for us, you know, mortals. But I was thinking about that easy. what you said before, researching if there's an audience for it. But I, I feel like though those billionaire scenarios are usually games that we've never seen before. I'm, I'm thinking Minecraft, and uh, that's the only one I can come up with, to be honest. But I, you know, the other uh, the Stardew vampire, Valley, yeah, yeah, Stardew Valley, uh, Vampire Slayer, or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, um, Valheim. Valheim. But Stardew Valley, on the other hand, is... I mean, it's just Harvest Moon, basically. So I wouldn't say that's, like, super sure, yeah. unique. Uh, in, in, But it was just, like, Harvest Moon just got worse and worse and worse. It was like... Uh, that's probably a case where the pro developers didn't listen to the feedback. I'm a huge Harvest Moon fan. My game now is obviously inspired by Stardew Valley slash Harvest Moon as well. But... Uh, I feel like the Harvest Moon games just, just got worse and worse and worse every time. And then uh, the Stardew Valley guy came in and he's made the Harvest Moon that I feel like personally I've been asking for since the Super Nintendo. But nonetheless, it was a big hit. You could say that, mm. I don't know if he researched it ahead of time, but whatever. It's like It feels like those uh, very unique games that we didn't think we wanted, that, that those are the games that become hits. But yeah. Uh, well, I, I would actually have a counterpoint to that. So that, I think, depends a little bit on what you mean by new. So in that case, Stardew Valley, for example, I think the new thing about it is that he sort of brought that genre to the mainstream. Uh -huh. Me, for example, I played that game and I loved it, but I had never played Harvest Moon or anything like that. So I think that's also possible where you can have like genres or subgenres that are not very popular and then bring them mainstream. I mean, take, for example, Hearthstone. Uh, I ha hadn't seen very many card games mm. before that, but that sort of blew up and suddenly everyone was into playing like play like cards or whatever you call it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think Blizzard is a very good example in general here because they rarely make a new game that has new mechanics that we've never seen before. But at least you can argue that this has changed over time, but at least they may used to make games based on an existing quite popular genre, and then they just perfected it. Mm. Like, World of Warcraft was not the first MMORPG by any measure, but they sort of brought it to the mainstream, you could argue. And like for so many years, people asking, oh, what's going to be the WoW killer? The WoW killer. And it turned out nothing killed it. Mm. They kind of killed it themselves, you could mm. say, but now they're sort of reviving mm. it with seasonal discovery and stuff like that. But this just they just made it better than anyone else did at the mm. time, and no one has really be at their own game since then so mm. yeah yeah exactly i would uh, agree that um i mean that's the the beauty i think about uh, sure it's like that uh, meme about your you're born too late to discover the world and too early to like explore the galaxies but uh you know in between you're born in the perfect uh like moment to explore dank memes and all of that. So I think there's uh, some truth to that, that you can, like there are stuff, not everybody has seen everything. And 
there are probably a, a unique in idea in a lot mm. of people that you could just bring to the mainstream mm. somehow and and uh, flourish hopefully. Uh, I, I'm curious uh, if you when you make your games like I have sort of I'm obsessed in trying to I, I want to make something unique in my game so let's say for example well the game I'm working on now it's kind of like imagine Animal Crossing with a bl Black Mirror twist to it in terms of story and it's a bit more adult but then I have like these things that I think is very unique that I want uh, that I'm very proud of because they are unique. I don't know if the gamers will see these things or even care about them. But for me, it's very important to have unique twists or unique things in my games that I have never seen in other games. They might exist, but I always wonder, do you feel like that when you make your games? Do you want them to be un very unique in some way? It could be anything, like in terms of graphic or if, if there's like a detail that you make put everywhere. I don't know. Do you, do you feel that? Sure, I think, I mean, as, you know, I still have so much passion and enjoyment of this, this, uh, you know, this craft of making games. Like, I, I don't think it's wrong, at, like, um, like at any point or like at, at in any way to make, for example, like the guy in the, the, the talk that we mentioned, like to make match three games, because I think that's what he did. That that's yeah. not wrong. Like if that's what you want to do, go for it. Because obviously you can support a family on it. And, and you know, uh, I think for me personally, making something a little bit more unique uh, that stands out is important to me personally because it just it feels like you're creating something sure. new. Like it's it's a piece of art. I I think the games are art. Um, and it's just if you can bring something new to someone, like if you can tell a story in a way that no one has before and that reaches the right player um that to me is almost the the the, re the biggest reason for me personally to make games like if if a player comes back and say i, I really enjoyed the story uh this really touched me thank you for for i don't know seeing me or understanding this experience that that's so powerful mm. and like even if it's i don't know your graphics is so beautiful i really love it uh or if it's the story thing or whatever it might be if you touch someone or if you created some something that resonated with someone that that's i don't know it's it's really powerful mm. uh, and i think also because so many people play games i think it's three billion people around the world play games like we can uh i don't know we can reach so many people with our stories and we can really be a force for good and i think that we should take that sort of responsibly and we should really think about that when we create games not all games need to have a rich story. No. Not all games need to have a purpose or anything. I don't think, I don't think so. But for me personally, like being able to, to use sort of the power that we have uh, and and tell a story that can maybe be part of the, you know, part of the discussion and talk about important subjects, but maybe in a lighthearted way or mm -hmm. something uh, to invite people in to to discuss this. I don't know. That's um, that's a very appealing idea, and I, I think. If you're able to do that, maybe you should at least consider it. Mm. Nice. And on that point, on story and narrative, so uh, could you tell us a little bit about the writing process? Do you have one, or is it just that you have this idea in your head and then you just create the game from that and then eventually you have a story? Or what's the process for you? Oh, that's a very good question as well. Uh, it sort of depends on the game. Uh, so I've been a narrative designer both as a consultant and on my own games. Um, of course, there's a slight difference between narrative design and, and writing. And I think I'm a little bit better as a narrative designer. So that would be like the world building and how do you interact with the characters? Like what's the yeah the, the design of the, the story and the, the way that the player uh, interacts with it. Um, and I think... It starts out with like an idea, like why should this game exist? Uh, like what's what's the guiding idea? What's the purpose of this story? Uh, so what's the theme basically? What what's this game about? What what should the the player think about when they when they start playing? Um, so so that's sort of what it starts for me uh, on a very very high level, and then from that maybe okay should this be a fancy game should this be modern should there be monsters i don't know uh, like you you sort of 
ask those questions, get those answers from it. Like, how can I best tell this story or like convey this message? Um, and it sort of gets more and more granular uh, from that. Um, and of course, eventually you need to actually start writing it and actually put those thoughts into dialogues and you know the actual text of the game. Um, and it really depends on what type of game it is, obviously. Um, like Pendulum Swing, for example, which was a very narrative-focused game, it, it's really focused on the dialogues that you have with the characters and sort of the storylines, uh, like the quests they send you out on and so on, and the mystery they unravel. Um, and then, once again, like in each sort of encounter that I wrote, it had to go back to, okay, what's the purpose? Like, why, why is this character here? What will the player learn here? And I'll, I'll need to sort of point back to the the theme of the game uh, so to make sure that like no interaction felt like useless. You should always feel like, okay, I learned something. Okay, this gives me a new perspective on this thing. Um, so yeah, once again, there's not a one size fits all, but I think it's important to, to always keep in mind what you're trying to say, cut out all the fat. Like if this character has no purpose, it doesn't have to be there. Uh, it's like scenes in, in a movie, if there's no purpose to the scene, if no stakes have changed, no characters have, you know, um, have had any type of development through the, uh, during the scene, there's no point in it and you should just cut it. And that goes for games as well. If there's no purpose with whatever interaction you're having, just cut it because players will want, you know, to progress, they want the action, they want to need reach the next thing. Especially if it's not a narrative-focused game, they definitely will not want to hear your... 2000 word backstory lore dump they don't care <laughs> so just cut it out basically yeah uh, that's also something like um, reminds me of another gdc talk actually i think it was something like 50 things i hate about your game pitch where uh, i think that goes with trailers and how you promote your game to a general audience as well that for some games like the first thing they do is like have this long exposition of the internal politics of this fictional country and it's like I don't even know what I do in the game or if it's if I like the character or whatever uh, so it's interesting how, how people think about that that to me it should be rather like a small adventure like in a living room and that's the whole game rather than this whole big political thing that where I don't get uh, like a emotional connection to any of it Mm. And I think just tying into that as well, one, once again, like the harsh reality is that we are making games. They are interactive. That's what they do. Uh, so even if you're making narrative focused games, like the gameplay, like what you do, how you interact with it is still very important. And most players, I would argue, value the gameplay, the, you know, the battles, the strategies, whatever it might be, quite highly. Mm. So like you... <laughs> You can't uh, forfeit sort of the, the game design and so on uh, just because it's a narrative-focused game. So, like, you have to find that balance. And, like, gameplay is king, unfortunately, in games. I say unfortunately, but you have to sort of remember that we are making games and absolutely let your story take place if it's narrative-focused games. But in many types of, like, in many genres, people are just not going to care that much about your backstory. They yeah. just want to play and have mm -hmm. fun. Uh, and yeah. and that, that should be fine. And they should not have your story sort of forced upon them if they, if they don't really care, Yeah, in my opinion. And another point uh, about that, actually. So I totally agree that gameplay is the most important thing for it to be a good game. And there are a lot of games, a lot of indie games, actually, that are, uh, I guess the term now is uh, walking simulators, where it is a... Uh, a, a story during games but for me it's just basically pushing w and then you know until you eventually reach the end of the game and there might be some puzzles in there uh, but how would you like relate your game to that is there more like things you actually do or um yeah i guess you said it was uh, card cards i guess so it's gonna be more gameplay than that but uh What's your thought about uh, game walking simulators? I mean, personally, I really I like walking simulators. They're fine. They are a genre in their own. And since I really like narrative-focused games, um, absolutely. Uh, but I think there's sort of 
I wouldn't say the outlier, but like if you are picking up a, a walking simulator, you know what you're gonna get. Like you're gonna get a story. That's the point. Uh, so like that's fine. But like if you're making, so for example, Creature King that I mentioned, um, it's it's a like I said, like it's a card battler, it's a deck builder. It does have a story. Uh, it's but it's more implicit and like there are very short conversations it's very lightweight um because in that sort of game if i was trying to tell the story in a way that a walking simulator does i think people would lose interest because by design the genre is very mechanically driven and i actually picked that genre because i wanted to make a more mechanics driven game and like focus on actually making that the center and like tell the story a little bit more implicitly rather than like having it as in your face so to speak than as it is in pendulum swing um so i think once again like you really need to know your genre and what your players will expect from it um like will they expect lore dumps because some people love reading and that's fine like some people are okay with like when they maybe they play text-based games uh, or maybe they're really into role-playing mm-hmm. or whatever and like they might have other expectations than like an action rpg like for example just to difference between a sort of regular RPG and an action RPG might be very Mm. big. Like the way you should uh, put your story like more in the background or more like completely push it to the forefront. So you just know your genre and what your players would expect. And if like even in a more action focused game, you can have very rich lore and amazing characters and so on, but you should probably allow the players to skip it a little Mm. bit more. Like they should have to take everything in in order to understand the game, which in a more traditional or whatever, a more role-playing focused role-playing mm. game might handle that a bit differently. I think, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm, I'm thinking about games like Persona. It's a lot of text in those games, like loads of it. And the gameplay is not very fun or special, I suppose. And then you play like, uh, I don't know, Octopath Travelers. It's a lot of text in those games, a very simple gameplay. And and I'm thinking about like Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example, which is a old. I mean, it's a RPG. But what I notice nowadays, what they do when they want to make action RPGs, is sort of like they do a lot of the dialogue while you're walking around, which I guess is something you couldn't do back in the day. But now we can do that, so that's pretty cool. And that's a way to sort of uh, uh, keep the story coming, but yet it's an RPG game or whatever the case may be. Uh, what's my point? Uh, old school persona I, I was thinking yeah you said that uh, you should be able to skip it I think that's important too and I'm thinking about like uh, Skyrim or Oblivion and so on especially like uh, Skyrim let's say when I joined the fighters guild I wasn't that interested in their story arc but when I did join the, the Dark Brotherhood the assassins I thought that was really cool so I actually wanted to read all the dialogue or I think it was voice acted but whatever you know I was really like into that but then I joined the fighter skills later on, but that was just to get the trophies or to just to, to do that story arch or whatever. But then you could just skip everything if you want. And then it's you go to your uh, your map and that's it's it's a little dot where you have to go. So you could basically get through all these stories without actually reading anything if you didn't care about it. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's important too, that you should be able to skip it. Um Mm. So I had no follow-up questions to that. I was just speaking, uh, thinking out loud. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel affirmed in, in what I just said, at least. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I do have a, a final question, and we should start wrapping up soon, I think, since we're uh, approaching an hour. So um, you have a lot of hats when developing games. So do you have any, like... Uh, expertise or skills that you enjoy oh. more like programming or art or graphics or anything like that uh yeah i would like to say first first and foremost that a game design game designer narrative designer and a unity developer a uh, little bit less and less unity developer like it, it fluctuates as well it depends on i don't know mood and project and so on um but i think game designer narrative designing that's sort of what i am most happy when i can focus on but then again like I also regard myself a little bit more a narrative designer than a writer. I sound very pretentious right now, but like the the more writing and the more details it you know gets into, the more bored I get, uh, and the more game design veers into balancing, for example, uh, 
it's just not as interesting to me anymore. And I think, to be honest, the more I can jump between these, the more happy I am as well. So it has to be a bit of a uh, a bit of a mix. Uh, otherwise, I, I get bored. <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, I think. Um, do you have any any further questions, Ruin? Before we start wrapping up, I do have one more, but it's just so weird and specific. So I will ask it, and we see what Please happens. Please go ahead. All right. So let's say from now until five o'clock, you're gonna work on your game. Like, what do you do? Like, do you do you turn on your computer, you launch Unity, or do you go to your couch and? I don't know. Drink a glass of wine and start writing on something. Like, how do you? How does a day look like? <laughs> Rarely the second. Uh, usually, it starts with starting Unity, going into the the backlog. In my case, Asana right now. Uh, just either I am already right in the middle of something and I just pick up where I left, or it's okay. What's the top priority? Or like. I'll be honest, sometimes it's what's the most fun, what I have mm. to do right now, what's the most interesting. Um, but sometimes like, okay, I don't know, I really need to finish the achievement system right now or whatever it might be. Like, It's not the most fun, but it has to be done before mm. launch uh, or before this date. Or it might be, oh, I actually need a trailer uh, and these five things need to be fixed before mm. I do that. Um, so... It's usually that I pick those. I say, these are the things I'm working on right now. And I pick one of them and I get to cool. work. And of course, it depends on how many hours do I have. Uh, will I really get into a programming uh. task or will I just fix some fun stuff? Uh, because it does take a little bit of time to get into a difficult mm. programming task. So if I know that I have like 40 minutes before I need to do this other thing, I'm not going to mm. start on a programming wow. task. It's just not going to happen. Then I might... Hontan, it sounds like myself. It's so cool. Like, I wonder if that's how a lot of solo developers do it. Like, exactly what you just said is Probably. how I do it. If I have a lot of time, I will get into some programming, like some difficult programming. If I don't have much time, I will just pick the fun things, fun things to do. And th like now, I'm preparing for a demo, so I have a long list of things that has to be done for the demo. Uh, it was supposed to be out two weeks ago. I reckon it's going to be another month until it's done. But, you know, you, you can't always <laughs> hit your, your deadlines. Especially making a demo, man. There's It's basically the whole game almost. It has to be playable. But anyway, that was a good answer. Thanks for that. Uh, it was interesting. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do want to give a quick shout out, if I may, before we stop. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> so we, we have that uh, segment uh, okay. where we let you market everything. Absolutely. Uh, Rune, did you have anything else before? Nope. I'm good. All right. So yes, exactly. Uh, as I was getting to, so thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to talking with us here. But uh, as I said before, we let you go. We would like you to give you the opportunity to market anything and everything you want, the games or LinkedIn bar or whatever you wish. So please go ahead, give us everything. There was one thing that I remember that I really need to give a shout out to, and that's a person, and he's called Tobias, and he is the one who has helped us bring Linking Bar to Slack 2 set a few years ago now. Uh, I realized I didn't mention him in my previous description, uh, and I felt bad mm. about that. So huge shout out to Tobias, otherwise we would not have grown to what we are today. Uh, so I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, otherwise, um, you can check out my company, Valiant Game Studio, and especially my game, Creature Kind. And a game that I haven't talked about, but Biosquare, uh, I didn't talk at least in detail about it, but um, that we're just going to start working on quite soon. And it's really, really exciting. And of course, uh, please uh, feel welcome to join us at the next LinkedIn Bar. Uh, the next one is going to be on the 2nd of February. So uh, I'll see you at Slakturken then, if not uh, cool. before. Cool. Very nice. And... Um... You know, as the, the opportunity that I give uh, all of our guests, so uh, you have additional games that uh, would be interesting to talk about. So I, I would be most happy if we could do a follow-up episode sometime and talk more about those. So that would be mm. amazing. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, for being our guest. It was very interesting, and I hope to see you back soon. Um, and I guess uh, we'll see each other at that event probably and uh, uh, I guess if any listeners want to talk to me I guess I will be there as well I'll link the event in the description 
Uh, what else? Uh, Rune, do you have anything else? Uh, I just love the world, the Slaktkyrkan, Slaughter Church. Well, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, I guess it was used, used to be a slaughterhouse area. Yeah. And then it was a church, maybe, connected <laughs> to that. I don't know if it, it was ever actually a church. I don't know. Maybe it was. Um, but it's just called the Slaughter Church. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other venue is the slaughterhouse because it used to be a slaughterhouse. <laughs> yeah, really great venue, anyhow. So um, I hope you can make, can make it here Hi. at some point. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that was it for our episode. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, send in a voicemail if you have any comments. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.